Hi, I'm Ariane Sparks. Welcome to the hot seat. With us today to discuss Ed Miliband and the future of the Labour Party is Dr. Jonathan Hopkin. Thanks for being with us, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. Some see Ed Miliband's victory as a return to the core old Labour ideals of the party. Do you agree? Uh, no, not really. Um, it's hard to say at the moment because we don't know exactly what he's, he's not proposed any concrete policies. But the, te what the basic message in his speech at the Labour Party conference was not old Labour. There was no real appeal to a return to trade union power or nationalisation of industries or anything like that. It was more, I think, uh, heading in the direction of European-style social democracy. So uh, trying to make um, generous welfare state compatible with uh, market capitalism and uh, also hinting at um, um, more effort on the environment, um, gender relations and family life, this kind of thing. So not really old Labour, but neither was it particularly oriented in a new Labour sort of more free market direction, um, as we had under Tony Blair. A majority of Labour parliamentarians and party activists supported David and not Ed in the leadership battle. Do you think that these divisions will continue, or will Ed be able to unite the party under his leadership? Well, it's hard to say, because we've never had um, a contested election for the leadership um, of this kind in the Labour Party. Uh, when Tony Blair was elected which was the last election of a Labour Party leader, there was no other prominent candidate, so he was so widely expected to win. Gordon Brown, of course, famously agreed not to stand. Um, so this is the first time we've had a, a, a straight fight for the leadership uh, out in the open. So we've no real history to base ourselves on in imagining what will happen. The fact that David Miliband has now decided to stay out of politics, at least for a while, um, makes it much easier. And I think also the party probably wasn't so deeply divided on policy lines as it might have been in the past. You know, the only example historically I can think of that was, might have been similar was the battle for the deputy leadership in the early 1980s between Tony Benn and, uh, and Dennis Healy, and that really laid bare all the divisions within the party. But I don't think the Labour Party currently, the policy divide is anything like uh, what it was then. So I don't see any reason why the party can't unite around a leader, especially if he proves successful electorally. The deciding factor in the outcome of the leadership battle was support from the trade unions. How beholden to the unions will Miliband be? Well, that is something the opposition, the um, opposing parties have seized upon because they see it as a chance to suggest that Ed Miliband represents a return to everything that was unpopular about old Labour, in particular the fact that it's, it was perceived as being too close to trade unions. Um, there's an important distinction that has to be made, is that uh, Ed Miliband won the trade union college of the leadership vote, um, but that was not uh, block votes by trade union bosses, as, as uh, the, the, the stereotypical image of uh, Labour Party controlled by trade unions was in the 70s and 80s, the, the trade union block votes, which were blocks of hundreds and thousands, even millions of votes, uh, determined by the decisions of the trade union leaders themselves. Um, in this case, Ed Miliband won votes from individual members of trade unions. Mm -hmm. So effectively, it was a ballot of uh, people who are members of trade unions, but ordinary citizens, citizens. So this doesn't imply any particular dependence of Ed Miliband on the trade union leaderships, although it is true that the spot he got from some trade union leaders was a big help. 
I think also Miliband, if he's sensible, will probably try quite hard to immediately distance himself from the trade unions to avoid um, committing himself to supporting strike actions in particular. There are likely to be a lot of strikes coming up and he'll probably be very, very careful not to give the impression that, that he's supporting the strikers, uh, mm. putting uh, the public to a lot of inconvenience. So I, th I think strategically he'll probably make a move to avoid that. In his first major speech as party leader, Miliband stated that the Labour Party had lost their way, they'd lost the public trust and must now work to regain that trust. How do you think Miliband will set out a plan to achieve this? I think uh, it's hard to know. In practical terms, he may engage in some kind of operation of trying to uh, increase Labour Party membership, get new members involved, sort of try to reach out to the grassroots. Uh, because he did state in his speech that he felt Labour had become a new establishment. It was perceived as being removed from ordinary citizens and so on. I, I think it's difficult to do because the Labour Party is not a very strong party. It doesn't have a strong membership and, and probably in practical terms that would be tough. I think in terms of discourse, what he is trying to do, what you could see in the speech, was that he's trying to uh, hold his hands up and say... We made mistakes, we apologised, trying to win back the public's trust by recognising that the Iraq war was widely perceived as an error, uh, that, um, that Labour was in government when the financial crisis blew up and that they have to take some responsibility for that. So by taking responsibility for policy mistakes and saying that he intends to move beyond uh, some of the old policies that proved unpopular and try and create new policies, that, that, that's probably the way he'll, he'll try and play it. Okay, we'll leave it there. Dr. Jonathan Hopkin, you are off the hot seat. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. Please tune in next month for our next edition of The Hot Seat.